What's up, everyone? Had a little musical interlude there from the entrance theme of one CM Punk. And no, I'm not going to talk about him in this podcast other than I think he is a punk. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this is Big John on Panic Attack. This is uh, where you like, share, subscribe. Leave a comment, all those things. Follow me on Getter and Twitter at the real underscore Big John. Gonna run this down for you because I had a few topics. Um, number one, I learned tonight, watched, listening to the Jim Cornette experience that I actually have. A little lot in common with Jim Cornette uh, academically. Also, of course, this weekend, WWE had its premium live event, Extreme Rules. And this year it was actually Extreme, which was a nice change up from last year's. Uh, and then uh, another thing from the Jim Cornette, uh, either Corny Drive Through or Experience, I don't know which podcast I was listening to. Uh, he, were, he was talking about the Steiner brothers, and it reminded me of a time I think I inadvertently met the Steiner brothers. Uh, And then I wanted to talk about Sasha Banks. And I don't know her status. I don't claim to know. But I've seen some things and I have some opinions. So, about me and Jim Cornette. Alright, so this is probably the best wrestling heel manager of the 1980s. Uh, People would say it's maybe a toss-up between he and Bobby Heenan. Uh, But Bobby Heenan... He didn't get under your skin like Jim Cornette could. Jim could make you yell at your TV. And in the early 80s when he broke in, he started in the 70s as a photographer at ringside. He would photograph the matches and then sell the photographs to magazines and uh, individuals, I think. Magazines for sure. Now, that's another thing. I'm a photographer, and I've photographed many a wrestling match, uh, not at ringside and not to sell to magazines, just for my own collection. I'm a photographer at heart, as is Jim. But he was talking about his school days. Somebody sent in this must have been on the Jim Cornette drive-thru. Yeah, because that's where people send their questions in. So on the Jim Cornette drive-through, he calls it that because he had an episode at a Dairy Queen drive-through one time. You can Google or YouTube that and hear the story yourself. Uh, but anyways, the fuck was I saying? Oh, he uh, was talking about. 
when he was in school, he didn't measure up to what the school wanted. He was actually smarter. <laughs> and things that required simple thought, math, some science, he wasn't really good at, but uh, anything reading, writing, spelling, English, he excelled at. And when I was a kid, I hated school. <laughs> it was so boring. Um, I did like social studies, anything history. Jim was a history uh, student as well. Uh, a history buff, I should say. And it just got me thinking. So when I was growing up, the stories they gave me to read in school were so shit. They thought I couldn't read. I actually had to go to remedial reading class because my teacher, our reading teachers, especially once I got up into the fourth grade area, uh, they... They were like, just read it and enjoy it. They didn't teach you how to use your imagination or think while you were reading or paint a picture in your head. And in elementary, first, kindergarten through first grade, I was always put in the, the reading group with like the slower kids because I was quiet. And this is another thing Jim and I have in common. He uh, was a quiet kid around large groups, but if you got him around one or two, three people, he was a little more lively, as was I. And so, just thinking back, uh, you know, I fell in love with reading around the fifth grade when somebody took me under their wing and they had me show them what we were reading in school and he's like this is crap have you ever read treasure island and i'm like no two thousand leagues under the sea no i'd heard of those books because they're famous but i thought oh i can never read those those are like you know smart people stuff or you know i was told i wasn't a good reader so therefore i wasn't um but when I got mentored and taught to love reading and taught to use my imagination, I tested out of remedial reading with like the highest reading grade in my class because I learned to think and use my imagination and stuff like that. So I guess I'm saying uh, I thought my school sucked. Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm on the board of education now. Uh, it was just, even into my college years, if I had to just strictly memorize a list of words and definitions or something like that, the, the fill, not fill in the blank as much, but the ABC best guess tests, uh, or correct guess quest, shoot, correct guess tests, whatever you want to call it. I've never been good at those, but when I got to my 
upper division college classes, I excelled because they were all essay tests. And I could write things out and I could think and jog my memory and write a really good answer. Once a professor told me, uh, don't give one word answers to essay questions. Answer the question with the question and go from there and add details about what I taught you. Like, oh, that's how this works. So I got all A's in my upper division classes, my uh, junior, senior level courses. And they're looking at my grade point average and like, but you get, you know, low grades in your, your uh, entry level classes. And I'm like, yeah, but look at my upper division scores. And they're like, whoa. Uh, what I'm like, yeah, I'm not a good multiple guess test taker, but I'm good at writing essays. So I thought that was funny. Me and Jim Cornette were both quiet kids in elementary school that came into our own later in life. And then uh, we're both thinkers. We're not, uh, you know, simple, you know, two, two plus two equals ten. Uh, math was just so boring to me. You know, when I was younger, it wasn't that bad because it was like, well, if you have two apples and you take away one, how many are left? Or, you know, if you have four apples and take away one, I can, oh, I can see that in my head. I can see taking something away. Uh, there's three left. Uh, so if think of math was taught at a practical level, like dollars and cents, kids would and people and I would have done much better but I was good at the counting money class we had in elementary school stuff like that but anyways Corny and I have something in common both uh, thinkers in school not great uh, at science and math and kind of quiet both into photography just some of those little things you see and think of in life and it wasn't an exciting story for you, but I kind of found that cute that Jim and I have something in common. So, WWE, WWE, all right, WWE doesn't have the same ring as WCW. They had their premium live event, Extreme Rules, this weekend. I, overall, I give it a eh, maybe a three star pay per view. Um, the matches were all well and good for the most part, but it just lacked something. And I can't put my finger on what that thing is, but it just didn't feel like a big deal to me. Um, the first match out was the Brawling Brutes, which are Seamus, Pete Dunne, and that guy whose name I can't ever remember. Uh, versus Imperium, which is Walter and his two buddies. Or they call him Gunter now. I guess I might as well just give in and go with Gunter. Uh, this match, if you like hard-hitting brawl wrestling, it was a good match from start to finish. But it, it got me where Sheamus pinned Gunter. Gunther or Gunter. Gunther. I'll say it Gunther. Uh, when Gunther and Imperium get beat, I kind of feel like they're being buried. 
I know the two guys that are with Sheamus need to be elevated, but they're not getting the pinfalls in these matches. Sheamus beat Gunther for the Intercontinental title. I didn't understand that. I know Sheamus can't go out and job constantly, but he's been there a while. He's been a tag team champion, a world champion, and he's a great wrestler. I, I like his style. I like his size. Uh, you know, there's been a rumor for the last year or two that uh, because of some nagging injuries, I think, to his neck, he may be winding down in wrestling. But still, to essentially hurt this great wrestler, uh, Gunther, and his two partners, Imperium, that are supposed to be like these German super athletes, borderline that group of Germans from the 30s and 40s, but they're not, they're meant to give that German super athlete appearance. Um, I don't see why they, they have decided to put them on this losing streak. I mean, somebody's got to lose the match, okay, but this whole thing, they changed Walter to Gunther and he lost a ton of weight be 50 pounds to come up to the main roster and have the look that Vince McMahon liked he's got all the talent just pure wrestling talent in that ring and so do his two uh, buddies in Imperium the three of them are Imperium by the way and I think there was a fourth one in NXT, but they chased him out. But anyways, so they're all three great wrestlers. Uh, Pete Dunne, who's now known as Butch, is a fantastic wrestler. I don't know why they had to change him up and turn him into this, you know, just raging, crazy guy named Butch, but Triple H is starting to change him back to Pete Dunne. He's back to wrestling in a uh, singlet. He's back to doing his, you know, finger breaker holds and stuff like that. But like I said, the Brawling Brutes won the uh, old-fashioned Donnie Brook match, which is a glorified name for a uh, no disqualification match. But I'm glad they had extreme matches at Extreme Rules this year. Last year at Extreme Rules, we had one extreme match. <laughs> uh, Vince McMahon and, you know, idiots running it. But anyway, SmackDown Women's title was on the line next. Another basically no disqualification match. They called it an Extreme Rules match where weapons are allowed. That's a no DQ match in my book. Anyway, Ronda Rousey defeated Liv Morgan. Uh, neither is a great worker. Uh, I think Liv has the most potential, and she's adored was adored by us fans. But then she had a few bad matches. They tried to 
nicknamed her the Miracle Kid when Vince was still in charge of things, where she would win by accident almost. Uh, like her last match with Ronda Rousey, Liv was tapping Ronda or tapping out to Ronda's uh, arm breaker, but the ref didn't see that. He saw Ronda's shoulders down. Uh, that weakened Liv Morgan. This was a chance for Liv to go over strong, and she ends up losing. Uh, the The hits they were giving with the weapons first was like a, a baseball bat that Liv decorated. Uh, people were comparing her to Harley Quinn, which is what she wanted her gimmick to be like in the first place. Uh, anyhow... But they really weren't hitting hard. And then it got a little more hard hitting later on. Uh, and I don't know that the bat Liv had was gimmicked. As in, it was a plastic bat fancied up to look like a real bat. It might have been a real bat. That's why they were pulling the bat punches. Uh, as the match got on, they got a little stiffer in their uh, shots, though. Liv had uh, some good moves off the top rope, through a table onto Rousey, stuff like that. Uh, Liv didn't seem like she was in pain, though, when she was taking her beatings. There were times she was smiling, saying, give me more. Uh, through, uh, throughout the match. Didn't seem to mind the pain. And so she ends up in a triangle choke fading out, but as she's going out, she's smiling. And when the referee declares the match over, Liv is still smiling. And after the match, Liv is smiling. And I, in Twitter, uh, one person liked my remark, another person didn't. Uh, I said, why, you know... I, Ronda Rousey's terrible or something. And why are they burying Liv Morgan? And he he came back and said, this one guy replied, Liv was strong through the whole match. And she was smiling at the end. Why? You, you, that's not buried. Learn, how to, learn what the word buried means. Or you learn what wrestling terms mean. It's like, shut the fuck up. Nobody uses old school terminology, right? Unless you're Jim Cornette. But I felt like it was a burial because it may be they're going to build towards something bigger for Liv Morgan and rehabilitate her character. But it just feels like from the time she got that belt and the fans popped and were ecstatic for her to be a champion because she worked so hard from the time she was a kid. She came up through the WWE developmental system and she's not a polished worker. Ruby Riot and Sarah Rowe were the the workers of that group and now they're both no longer with the company. Uh, but Liv can be carried to a good match. Ronda Rousey is not someone that can carry a match. 
she's another one that if she's with a good worker, she can have a good match. But she's got to be in there with Charlotte Flair or Sasha Banks or someone else that is a more polished worker. But I'm a Liv Morgan fan. I think she's a good human being. She just needs to get a little better her wrestling skills. Her character work is phenomenal. And I think she could be a face of the women's division because as you see, the women like to quit. Some of the guys like CM Punk and others like to quit and walk away too, so I shouldn't say it's the women. But notoriously, Sasha Banks likes to wander off. Uh, Charlotte has backstage issues with attitude. Uh, she's going to be leaving for Hollywood soon. So they've got to have these other women that you can get behind because that women's division steals the show a lot of the time. And I'm glad they're main eventing Raw now with women's matches. So moving on, I think I used the word buried correctly when you look at the entire arc of this Liv Morgan character, but whatever. Next was the strap match, the Indian, it used to be called an Indian strap match. I don't think Native Americans ever tied each other together at the wrist and fought, but that was the, the legend back in the day of wrestling. Anyway, Karrion Cross defeated Drew McIntyre. Uh, overall, it was an okay match. Karrion Cross and Scarlett had their phenomenal black and white entrance. Uh, the I thought there would be more violence in this match. Now, Karrion Cross started out with great heel work where he wouldn't put the uh, strap on his wrist and he kept throwing it aside. And the thing I didn't like about this match, even though I'm a fan of Lady Ref Jess, I think she's a f much better referee than Aubrey Edwards. And she's a, an attractive woman, too. That doesn't hurt. But I don't think this was a, a place for a woman referee. I think Ref Jess should have been refing the women's matches. But nonetheless, Karrion uh, Cross tossed the strap aside three times. Then he starts brawling and beating up on Drew McIntyre in good heel fashion. And Karrion Cross's character is now what it should have been when he came to uh, Monday Night Raw. One thing, he shouldn't have left NXT when he did. Two, they gave him this generic gladiator garb and ruined him. I don't know. But anyways, so Cross is back. This may lead to something else. Maybe this feud will go on longer. The match ended with Scarlett jumping in the ring, which is legal, of course. Extreme rules, remember? No disqualifications in any match. 
Uh, she pepper sprays Drew McIntyre when he is about to go for his finish. And Karrion ends up punting Drew in the back of the head, getting the win. It just it just lacked something for me. Uh, I just wanted to see more violence in that match, I guess. Uh, the women's ladder match. This is a tie for the best match of the night. Okay. Bianca and Bailey put everything out there. There were a lot of spots with the ladders, a lot of hard-hitting moves. Bianca Belair, I say it every time, just phenomenal athlete. Probably the best overall athlete in the women's division, maybe in the company. Uh, and, she, of course, she had the spot where she used her ponytail as a weapon, which is always cool. Uh, she really lays those ponytail whip, whips in when she's wrestling. It's pretty awesome. Um, and Bailey had a good spot where I thought both women got legitimately injured. And we may not know yet. We'll see what happens. But with a simple but extreme move... Bailey did an elbow off the ring apron. There was, uh, Bianca had set up a ladder between the barricade and the ring. Then Bailey got the advantage and laid Bianca out on the ladder and just did a simple elbow dive off the apron, but it looked so real. I The way Bailey hit the ladder with her side and put her elbow right in Bianca's chest. I thought they both got hurt in some way. That's good selling on their part. But it was a believable looking move. That's what made it extreme. You know. One thing I noticed about this. As an extreme rules match. Nobody got cut open. Or as an extreme rules pay per view. It, you know. ECW, the home of Extreme, was always known for its blood and gore matches. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to wear the crimson mask and get busted open every match, but even up through the 90s and the early 2000s, you would have matches where Triple H, JBL, Eddie Guerrero were just covered from that little gig they do to their forehead which obviously is more than a little gig. And if you think it's fake blood, you're stupid. When would they have time to stop, unscrew a, a canister of blood and throw it on their faces, let alone keep it going for 10 or 15 minutes? But anyhow, that's totally off subject. Match of the night. Uh, damage control came down to interfere uh, when Bianca looked like she was going to climb the ladder and get the belt the first time. And I thought this would be a good good place. And I really thought we were going to see Sasha and Naomi return. Because if you think about it, uh, Damage Control are the women's tag team champions. Sasha and Naomi left as women's tag team champions. And, of course, there's rumors one way and rumors the other of whether or not Sasha and Naomi are going to come back soon. Uh, 
But this could be a setup to Oscar, Bianca, Alexa Bliss, and then Sasha and or Naomi versus Damage Control and one or two other people at Survivor Series. That's one of the stories I'm hearing. Or it could just have Bianca, Alexa, and Oscar versus Damage Control at Survivor Series, a three-on-three, because there aren't gonna, I don't think there are going to be any traditional Survivor Series matches. I think they're all going to be, um, oh, what do they call it? Inside the two rings with a cage around both rings and a catwalk above the ring or a walkway above the ring. Um, war Games matches at Survivor Series. They're going to be War Games style matches where two people start out and every few minutes one person from the other team enters. So it's two on one for a while. Then someone from the other team enters, and then it's two-on-two, and then someone from the next team enters, and it's three-on-two until everybody's in the ring fighting. And those matches were outstanding on NXT. So Survivor Series is going to be a phenomenal pay-per-view. Although I missed the original Survivor Series layout, where it was like four or five matches and four or five guys on each side, Uh, And then I think at least once they did at the end of Survivor Series, all the survivors had a battle royal. I like that, but I'm old school. Uh, Speaking of old school, they had an I Quit match, which has been done in wrestling many times. Uh, Was it Sasha and Charlotte had one? that brought the house down, stole the show. Uh, and the, the original, well, the first one I saw, uh, and really looking back and watching on YouTube, it doesn't live up to the hype <laughs> that I remember as a kid. But uh, the first one I remember is Tully Blanchard versus Magnum TA. Uh, Magnum made Tully say, I quit. And of course, Tully denied it, but... Still, it's a good match. It was, it was, but it was like a ten-minute match. It wasn't very long. Uh, maybe because Magnum was pretty green, but now that I've learned more about Magnum's career, he wasn't really that green. But that's what Dusty and everybody says. He was kind of green. So, anyways, this I Quit match: Finn Balor versus Edge. Great match. This is match of the night number two. Uh, it went 30 minutes, which some people say is too long. But right when I was kind of like, lo- I don't say losing interest, but I was playing with my phone tweeting. <laughs> and uh, I looked up, and they're out in the crowd fighting. The thing about Edge is he is a great storyteller in the ring. So he knows how to build you up to where... That last 10 minutes of the match, you're like on the edge of your seat going, what's going to happen? And he also knows how to talk people into the building. The promo he did before this match, 
uh, on SmackDown is, was a great promo. And it wasn't him standing across the ring from his opponent and, you know, throwing barbs back and forth. It was just him sitting in a chair looking into the camera and saying, you know, this is what I have to prove. I had my career taken from me. People said I couldn't come back. I'm back. I'm going to kick your ass, Finn Balor. So on and so forth. I can't do it justice, sorry. Look it up on YouTube. Last 10 minutes of the match, like I said, Judgment Day starts to interfere. And this is where it got crazy. So Judgment Day, it, you know, as you know, uh, first it was... Um, Uh, it was Dominic and Ray, or Dominic Mysterio and um, you would think doing these damn videos, I'd learn to write things down. Damien beating up on Edge. Uh, then Rhea was able to handcuff Edge to the top rope. Oh no, how's Edge gonna ever not say I quit now? So. Then Beth Phoenix gets involved. Oh, in the meanwhile, back at the ranch, Rey Mysterio tried to run in and make a save uh, to getting his ass kicked. I love Rey Mysterio, but he got his ass kicked. Uh, so Beth Phoenix comes in to save her husband. She and Rhea Ripley have a stare down. They brawl. Beth gets the uh, advantage, knocks Rhea out temporarily, uh, gets the key from Rhea, unhandcuffs her husband. Now Beth and Edge are cleaning house. Uh, of course, Rhea pulls out brass knuckles, knocks Beth Phoenix down. Now uh, Damian Priest... Dominic and Finn Balor are holding Edge back. Rhea is going to give Beth Phoenix the concerto if Beth or if Edge doesn't say I quit. It takes him a while, but finally he says, "Okay, I quit. I quit. I quit." And then Rhea, in true heel fashion, concertos Beth Phoenix anyway. Then suddenly, miraculously, Ray, Ray Mysterio's little ass is healthy again. Full of spunk, that Ray Mysterio. After everything's over, they're getting Beth Phoenix medical attention. <clears throat> people are running around yelling, get somebody out here, get people out here. You know, the, the announcers are yelling at the ref to get somebody out here to help Beth. The ref's yelling back at the announcers, get somebody out here to help Beth. <laughs> they didn't know... Who was supposed to call the back for help? The ref or the announcers? But that, you know, Beth is getting medical attention. It's taken to a hospital versus a local medical facility. Uh, then this is another setup probably to Survivor Series where you'll have Rey Mysterio, who obviously is finally going to put hands on his son, maybe. Uh, you're going to have Damian Priest, Finn Balor and Rhea, Judgment Day versus Beth Phoenix, Edge, and Ray, and then they'll have to find a partner somewhere. Um, Beth Phoenix, I, I don't know why she's not 
full-time wrestling again. Now, obviously the women's division is stacked, but a Beth Phoenix who worked for years to get to WWE was the queen of independent women's wrestling for a long time who because she was a big built strong muscular woman and is beautiful it took her a long time to get to wwe of course then she retired they have kids uh maybe she doesn't want to wrestle full time because of her kids that's fine nothing wrong with that at all but i just i think beth could teach the younger women like Liv Morgan uh, and others, some of the the rules, some of the ways to sell, the ways to get over, and just flat out wrestling. <laughs> uh, Natty Neidhart kind of has that job, but I don't think she likes it. And by the way, Natty has an adorable younger sister. I watched a YouTube video of Natty and her younger sister and Natty is genuinely an obnoxious person. Like, I thought that maybe that was like an act for Total Divas. And I'm sure it was dramatization because it's a reality show. But some of the things I've seen and heard backstage, and Beth, or not Beth, <laughs> Natty acted exactly that way on her YouTube video with her sister. I'm like, Natty, shut the F up. <laughs> your sister's the cute one. Your <laughs> might be your YouTube channel, but you're not the hottie. The little sister's an up-and-coming social media influencer, I guess. I should say younger sister, she's not little. Anyways, enough of that stupid shit. So, Edge quits, Finn Bauer wins. Judgment Day, phenomenal, badass group. They weren't doing really well when Edge was the leader. So, they're better now than they were with Edge as the leader. And they're not doing like the spooky, mysterious voodoo crap that they were doing a few months ago. So, that's a big improvement. They're just badass heels. Final match of the night. And this... It always bothers me with pay-per-views, but you have one guy that's a world dual world champion or United World Champion or whatever they call it, Unified World Champion, and you have Unified Tag Team Champions. And I love tag team wrestling, and I don't like all this title unification stuff because now at pay-per-views like this one, now that I think of, there were no championship belts on the line that uh, they were all grudge matches which is a, a good old school thing but still just doesn't sit with me so last match Seth Rollins versus Matt Riddle uh, Matt Riddle defeats Seth Rollins with Daniel Cromier as referee it was a good all around match uh, it was called um a pit match or something like that. They took the ropes off the ring and it was all steel cage. Above the cage there was a walkway 
where the wrestlers could go up and you know fight up there or they use it for high spots mostly uh, I can't say anything more than it was a good all-around match Matt Riddle won a couple times Daniel Cromier had to uh, use his authority but I don't understand why he, there were times when he broke up holds or fought fists a flying other than it gave Matt Riddle a chance to you know push off on Cromier and then uh, also it gave Seth Rollins a time to you know buck up against Cromier and Cromier said you know hey I'm the referee I'm in charge in here what are you in charge of there's no disqualifications you can only win by tap out or pin but they had to give Daniel Cromier a line or reason to be in there. Uh, UFC Hall of Famer, UFC legend, which Ronda Rousey is not. <laughs> Can you get the hint? I don't like Ronda Rousey as a person. She's very insecure and covers it up with a brash, cocky attitude. Um, but this match, as good as it was, it, it just wasn't extreme. I mean, they did some great high spots off that platform, catwalk, whatever you want to call it, around the top of the cage. But at the end of the night, you're in a steel cage match. When I was coming up watching wrestling until the last 10 or 15 years, any time there was a steel cage match, somebody was getting cut open nine times out of ten. Now they're rubbing each other's faces into the cage, and for some reason now it no longer cuts your skin. When for 30, 40, 50, 60 years going back in cage matches, throwing your opponent face first into the cage, cut him open, uh, especially grinding your opponent's face into the cage cut him open anyhow I'm not saying there has to be blood and gore in every match like all elite wrestling's doing but still it's like uh, the things that used to cause guys to gush blood no longer causes a scratch but so they start to go off the air and the um the uh, copyright logo comes up, and I'm disappointed. Everyone's disappointed. Wait a minute. Every hint we've gotten for days, weeks, said that Bray was returning tonight. Uh, even throughout the pay-per-view, there was this. There were these white rabbit flashes, which I give credit to the announce teams. The white rabbit stuff would flash on the screen. And they wouldn't acknowledge it. Even there were times when it inter there was total silence and there was a like old, you know, Atari looking bunny rabbit bouncing across the stage. And when it came back to the uh, pre show group, they were just right in the middle of their sentences, like they had no idea that their feet had stopped and this white rabbit thing was on. And the same thing later, there was a, a white uh, 
cracked out Easter Bunny. I'm afraid of the Easter Bunny, by the way. Uh, people in Easter Bunny costumes. There was uh, an Easter Bunny outside posing for pictures with people. The main feed got interrupted by this. And when it went back, Corey Graves and Michael Cole were just talking. Uh, side note, from now on, Corey Graves and Michael Cole are going to be the announce team for all premium live events, Michael said at the beginning. I think that's a good move. Uh, they're both good announcers. Though There's something about Corey Graves that rubs me wrong just the way he is in his personal life. But anyway, so the lights go out and the cell phones come out. I'm like, okay, so what? You think Bray Wyatt's going to come back? They just said they were going off the air. You know, they gave all the signals and hints that they're going off the air. Well, then the camera starts flashing through the crowd, and here are all the Bray Wyatt characters, characters from the Firefly Funhouse in different parts of the audience. And then, again, unable to do it justice, Bray Wyatt comes out, takes off. First you see the lantern, then you see him emerge with a different mask on. The Fiend was in the audience, which I thought that was going to be Bray Wyatt, and he was going to pull off his mask and do something. But no, he came out through the entranceway through a kind of mysterious doorway gimmick setup. There was a lot of light coming through the doorway to the point it was blinding light. The out emerges Bray in a different mask with the lantern. He takes the mask off. So maybe now we're going to get Bray, just the really crazy over-the-top wrestler with the awesome promos, talking in riddles that everybody loved. Uh, Bray is a creative force. And this gimmick, this idea of mine would kill his gimmick, but at some point, I mean, it wouldn't kill his gimmick, but he's got a really hot sister, Micah Rotundo. And she's a really cool, philosophical person. She's a realtor now, so she doesn't seems like she doesn't post as much on social media. But her and I commented back and forth on some of her posts at one point before she got a lot of followers and I got lost in the crowd. Uh, but because she's somebody that tries to be philosophical, not Philadelphia, she doesn't try to be the city of Philadelphia. She tries to be philosophical and motivational. And she was an, a motivational speaker uh, and television anchor. She might still do some television in whatever town she lives in. But I thought, man, wouldn't it be cool to have her come and be like a psychiatrist for Bray Wyatt? So, but that might hurt Bray's character. And these things where they have a crazy over-the-top character sitting down with psychiatrists, uh, or was it Sasha? Sasha and somebody going to a therapy, well, Sasha and Bailey going to therapy to heal their friendship did not get over. 
So uh, probably stay away from that. But I think that would be something really cool, you know. And then Bray could, like, kill his psychiatrist slash real-life sister or something. But anyways, I just thought that would be something neat. But anyways, Bray Wyatt is back. Huge pop from the crowd. Uh, And they knew when the lights went out in the arena to take their cell phones out. And then the he's got the whole world in his hands started playing and singing and great, great reaction. You can see how popular this guy is. And here's my favorite wrestling term, buried. He had a burial, uh, quite literally. They set his ass on fire at one point. Uh, he, Vince just didn't know how to use him. And bless Vince Man's heart, he's brought me years and years of wrestling entertainment. But sad as it is for the women that were used and mistreated, it's almost a good thing that Vince was pushed out of the company to say it saved the company, I think. Uh, now, what could shit on the company is if Tony Khan goes through with this Netflix, possibly. They might put WWE on Netflix, uh, or there's rumors that they could sell it to Disney. We've seen what Disney did to Star Wars. Let's not let them kill my beloved wrestling. (laughs) But Triple H uh, and the booking team he's got together, the creative team, they're saving the WWE right now. And it's getting fun to watch again. So I'm not going to get into all AEW's melodrama. But I am going to take a break and then talk about the time. I think I met the Steiner brothers at a car show. And give my thoughts and opinions on uh, Sasha Banks. And we'll see what happens. So coming right back at you after a brief break. And then I'll try to shut up at the one hour mark. Okay, so I'm back. (laughs) One of the most legendary theme songs in WWE history. The Million Dollar Man's theme. Uh, I just heard there was somebody else that was almost going to get that gimmick. I forget who it was. But I, you know, that was the, as entertaining as it was as a teenager... It's like the worst gimmick Ted DiBiase ever had. He used to be Ted DiBiase, the really badass wrestler <laughs> down south. And I watched, uh, I think it was Best of Mid-South Wrestling. And I'm like, whoa, Ted DiBiase was a badass. And I remember watching, it was him, Hacksaw Jim Dugan, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. I don't know where... It was if it was Mid South Wrestling, or if it was Memphis, or uh, wherever Bill Watts's territory was in Texas and Oklahoma. But I remember him being a kind of good guy, and he was just a really good wrestler, as was Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and then 
in that late 80s period, they came over to WWE, and they, uh, Dugan still was a badass wrestler, but he was portrayed as kind of a dumb guy that carried an American flag and said, I love Hacksaw. God bless him. I think he had his last cancer radiation treatment. I think he's, he's doing well. I haven't seen him on social media lately, though. I hope he's doing well. But anyways, Ted DiBiase used to be badass Ted DiBiase and not the million-dollar man. You know, a few more tokes on the old stogie. The Steiner Brothers. One year I was at the Hot Rod Super Nationals in Canfield, Ohio. And these two big dudes approached me. And one of them had a really big mustache. And they, it was summer, so they both had on sunglasses. And I always had like a really nice camera. And this one guy came up to me and said, Hey man, you got a camera kind of like mine. And of course, my mind thinks automatically, uh, he's going to ask me to trade him cameras or try to scam me or something. And it turns out his camera, it was, it was like a, not digital, we don't even have cameras anymore, everyone uses their cell phone, but it was very electronic for a 35 millimeter camera, as was mine. And he's like, oh, I see we got similar cameras, I was wondering if you could help me out here. Uh, I, mine's saying that the, the door is open, and I don't know if it's taking pictures or not. And I kind of looked at it and I said, I really don't know what to tell you. I, it looks like everything's working fine to me. I would just keep taking pictures. <clears throat> so we talked a few more minutes about the camera. And I mean, these guys were huge, muscular dudes. And he said he just came down from Detroit. Because this was like, I don't know how many acres the Canfield fairgrounds are, but every inch of that fairground was covered with cars. You couldn't fit another car in there. There were like thousands upon thousands of cars. This was in the 90s. And I th after they walked away, I'm like, Mom, I think that was, I think that was the Steiner brothers. And she said, oh, come on. <laughs> Me, it was my mom, myself, and my uncle, and uh, we were all look, out there looking at cars. He was here on vacation and blah, 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 and to this day, I'm sure I met the Steiner brothers inadvertently, <laughs> accidentally, however you want to say it. Wish I would have known I would have gotten a picture with them, but anyhow, nonetheless, a picture I would have probably lost by now because it was 30 years ago or so. Anyway, Sasha Banks, Sasha, Sasha, Sasha. <coughs> so now there's a lot of talk about her returning. Uh, the last thing I heard was on social media a few weeks ago, she changed her Twitter and everything from at Sasha Banks WWE to Mercedes Bernardo, her real name. Uh, and then somebody pointed out that she changed her bio from 
wrestler to WWE. Now, I don't know. It, it, that second thing, I can't verify what was in her bio before and after. But she definitely changed her social media to Mercedes Bernardo. Now, uh, from dub, Sasha Banks, WWE. But I missed this during the pay-per-view. Somebody uh, on the internet, when I googled Sasha Banks, there's an article that during Bailey's entrance, Michael Cole mentioned the name Sasha Banks for the first time since her and Naomi walked out on the company. So her being one of the best women wrestlers in the world makes for some interesting conversation as, you know, will she go to AEW and be Mercedes? Just like Paige went to AEW and became Soraya. What will happen? We don't know. But it looks like she could return to WWE. And like I mentioned before, there, there could be a setup there for there to be uh, a match with, you know, Damage Control and Bianca Belair's crew. And they need, you know, one or two more people to round those teams, each team out. So could you have Naomi go heel and Sasha come back as a face? Of course, they would both get a, a baby face pop. So, do you add two people to damage control uh, and then have Sasha and Naomi in there on the side of Alexa, Asuka, and Bianca? Uh, that would make for a phenomenal match because those are any combination. You right there have eight women who can go, eight women that are great athletes and great wrestlers. The question is, what two people do you put on the side of damage control? You find two up-and-comers from NXT. Uh, do you find two, maybe Lacey Evans, uh, who's up and down on the card and up and down in angles, and her return has just been handled terribly. Um, one minute she's this sympathetic baby face returning. Then 30 seconds later, she's a heel. I don't know. But the question in my mind is, should WWE take back a toxic wrestler? Sasha Banks was the influencer over Naomi to quit. Sasha, a couple years ago, took a break from wrestling, saying that she just needed a break that ever since she was a, a young teenager or maybe you know nine or ten years old wrestling was her life and she just needed a break so is she like the female cm punk that's just a, an attitude problem and a pain in the neck phenomenal worker phenomenal on the microphone beloved by fans like cm punk but can't take the heat behind the scenes and gets their ass out the kitchen every chance they get. Now, I admit when Sasha and Naomi, uh, 
quit and left the belts on Johnny Ace's desk. WWE's storylines and booking were at the worst I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot because I've watched wrestling my whole life and seen some terrible booking and terrible angles and terrible characters. What what do you, what say you? Is she done with WWE? Is that why she changed her her Twitter and Instagrams to completely say Mercedes Venardo? Or is it an elaborate scheme by Triple H to make people think she's done with the company? Another rumor I heard was her contract is through the end of the year, which means with all the people they've released, they're paying Sasha Banks to sit at home after she quit? So what? where are we going with this? Nobody knows. Sasha Banks and Triple H are probably the only ones who know right now where she's going to end up. So, of course, I'd like to see her at the Big Daddy, WWE. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to talk about AEW's problems right now. But nonetheless, WWE is getting entertaining again. It's getting fun to watch. So, I really don't care if they bring Sasha Banks back or not. They have a lot of talented women like Nikita Lyons uh, down at NXT. Um, uh, Shauncee Blackheart is back to her cool gimmick. She, I even saw her in her tank a few weeks ago. Uh, of course, they have Raquel Gonzalez, who could have been Raquel Rodriguez, but whatever. She's still awesome and getting a big push. And her favorite horror movie is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, according to what they told her to say when she was being interviewed by <laughs> Shauncee. But anyway, so we'll see where Sasha Banks ends up. I don't think WWE should bring her back. Uh, I see so many talented women on the independent wrestling. I see so many talented women at uh, the Performance Center. Why well, have a toxic attitude? Uh, at this point, I'm like, why should they even bring Charlotte Flair back? The only toxic woman wrestler I would like to see get a shot in WWE is Tessa Blanchard. Just because I want to see her get that one shot and see if it straightens her out. If she loses the attitude problems or whatever reason she walked away from this wow company women of wrestling. Um... But other than that, I don't think Sasha should come back to WWE. As good as it would be, as good of a wrestler as she is, you can't continually quit and disappoint the fans and your fellow wrestlers, your, your co-workers, and just keep getting second. This will be her third chance. Okay? So anyways, God bless y'all. Pray for each other. See you next Panic Attack with Big John. Remember to love somebody, be the reason somebody feels love. God bless. This is my favorite wrestler of all time, Eddie Guerrero.
Mamacita.